series this week about lighting up the darkness. And this week we're going to talk about faith. Last week we talked about hope. This week we're talking about faith. Next week we'll talk about love. I want to take you back to our anchor verse, one of our anchor verses, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You, you, the believers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So one of those lights that we're going to use to light up the darkness is faith. Our other anchor verse before we get going is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. It says, Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. Now you saw in the video, you saw a, a definition about faith, so let's talk about that for a moment. What is faith? Faith is a conviction of the truth of anything, a belief. And relating to Christ, faith is a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. That's a powerful... I I, I always think you have to understand words that you're going to use. If we're going to use words, we need to know what they mean. We need to not just have some surface understanding because our world has defined faith as being something other than what God and what the Bible has defined faith to be. We've tended to turn, in the world, we've tended to turn the idea of faith into things like these sayings. Leap of faith. Blind faith. Well, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not some leap of faith, some blind action that you do hoping. All right, notice we talked about hope last week. That's when you talk about blind faith, well, you know, I'm just hoping that it's going to, that's not biblical faith. That's hope. That, that's, that's hoping for something, but that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is a conviction of the truth. Not the hope that something will occur, but the conviction of the truth of something. We're going we're gonna to illustrate that as we go. So what's the difference in faith and hope? I like to read a lot of different things, so I'm going to give you what Martin Luther actually said about the difference between faith and hope. He said they differ in respect to subject. Faith rests in understanding, but hope rests in the will. If, if, if it would help clarify that, let me say, faith is regarding your intellect, but hope is regarding your emotions. Faith is not something that you feel. Faith is something that you know. Faith is something that you believe, where hope is something that you feel. It rests in the will. They differ in respect to the object of each one. Faith has for her object the truth. Looking upon the word... That's big W, the Bible, looking upon the word and promise of the thing that is promised. Hope has for her object the goodness of God. Upon such matters as faith teaches us to hope for. So what is this saying? All right, it sounds like a complicated definition, so what is he really saying? 
He's saying that faith is based in this idea of truth. It's based in what we find in God's Word to be true, to be factual. But what about things where we don't find a specific reference to them in the Word of God? Then hope kicks in in those situations based on what faith tells us about the goodness of God. All right, faith tells us that God's character is this. Faith tells us through his word, through the truth that we see in the word, that God will never leave you nor forsake you, okay? That's part of the goodness of God. That's part of his character. So when we see those things, but then we come upon a situation where we go, well, I don't find a specific reference to this situation in God's word. Well, the faith that is the belief, the conviction of the truth of something in God's word and about Christ and who he is, then says, I know this about his character. Therefore, in this situation, I will have hope that the goodness of God, the character of God, the nature of God will work in my situation. The enemy fights faith and hope differently. And it fights them differently based on the nature of what they are, that faith is about your mind and your intellect, and that hope is about your will. The enemy fights against faith with lies, with error, with heresy. Why? Because faith is about the truth. And since faith is about the truth, then the way that the enemy will come against faith is that he will propose a lie. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve. What happened? He actually combined both things in his temptation of Adam and Eve. When he reached out to Eve, he said, Has God surely said that you're going to die if you eat of this fruit? Okay? He questioned the truth. He came with a lie. He came with an error. But then he tells them, he says, he tells Eve, he says, now look, here's why God is holding out on you. Because he knows that you will be like him. That one actually played on both issues. It affected truth. It affected, it was an error. It was heresy, but it also caused a reaction in her will, in her emotion, in her feeling. Satan's always, he really only has a few ploys that he comes against us with. He's the father of lies. The enemy fights against hope, though, with things like violence, tribulation, and trials. Think about when you've ever heard someone say, whether it was, uh, it, it, it doesn't even have to be in a spiritual situation. It may simply be in someone's life that they say about someone else, they say, you know what, I think he just lost the will to live. I think he just lost the will to continue the fight. I think he just lost the will to keep pressing forward. See, that's when hope disappears. When hope disappears, you no longer have the will to do something. Before too long, your faith disappears. Usually the enemy comes with the attack against the idea of hope first because it gets our emotions in such an uproar that we'll open our hearts to receive a lie. We'll open our minds to receive error and to receive heresy because we don't have this view. Now the problem is I, what I'm finding in our educational system today 
is that he's actually making an end run on this and the enemy is attacking the truth because he is convincing people that there is no absolute truth. He's convincing people that you can get to God all these different ways, that it's not just through Jesus Christ. And so out of that then, he's attacking and changing the truth in people's minds, but letting them still have hope. Because we've gotten used to that if he comes against and he, and he makes you be depressed about something, if he makes you lose the will, then people recognize that and they come alongside and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Man, the enemy's attacking your emotions, but you're still, you've still got a foundation of truth. But if he can erode the truth, then you lose your faith. There's three things I want us to talk about about faith today. Number one is receiving faith. How do we go about receiving faith? Number two, understanding faith. Because again, how do we exercise something? How do we increase something if we don't actually understand it? And third, as with hope, is how do we share our faith? So let's talk about how we go about receiving faith. I, I really believe that faith is one of the topics that has been misconstrued in the church. I believe it has been at times mistaught. I believe it's been misrepresented. It's been, we've allowed that, that worldly definition to come in on it. And so what we say to people is about the idea of faith is purely we say, well, you need to have faith. And, and really what we're saying at times to people is you need to have hope. But we use the word faith. And, but we're going to see what the Bible talks about regarding what is biblical faith. Well, let's start with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen to that. The founder and the perfecter. Some, some uh, translations say the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, you need to catch something here. Right off the bat, we need to, we need to get something grounded out of this verse. It says, Jesus is the one who founds faith in your life. Get that. Jesus is the one who is the founder of faith in your life. You're not the founder of faith in your life. Reading the Word is not the founder of faith in your life. Praying is not the founder of faith in your life. Jesus is the founder. He's the author. He's the perfecter. He's the finisher of faith in our lives. Now, there's two important phrases there that are used. The idea of founder, we just said, is understanding that He's the one who initiates faith in our lives. But He's also the perfecter of our faith. Now that's a powerful thing to me because what that says is that you can have faith, but it is not yet developed to the point that God wants it to be. Because if not, he wouldn't be the perfecter of faith. He would not be the one who is building and perfecting your faith over a period of time. He's the founder and he is the perfecter of our faith. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 then says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's, we're going to build through this whole sermon. So let's take Hebrews 12, 2 that we just read, and let's put that with Romans 5, 1. Hebrews 12 said, Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by what Jesus founded in our lives, we then have peace with God. Why? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we have it through our Lord Jesus Christ? Because he's the one who founded faith into our lives, which is what justified us. We start to see this connection of faith being justified, faith being given by God. Therefore, that's why we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. We're just going to keep building these verses. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You go, all right, hang on. I'm, I'm already looking ahead of you, Pastor, and I'm seeing the word believe, believe, believe. What's that got to do with faith? Because we saw both in that video, we saw in the definition, that the actual meaning of the word that is used and translated as faith is Believe, faith, trust, conviction of. It's not something that is an idea of faith being something different than belief. So when we begin to read these verses that use the word believe, here's what you need to know. The actual word in the Greek that is used here for calling them in whom they have not believed is the same word that is translated faith in other places. We just, in our English translation then, called some stuff faith, we called some stuff belief, we called some stuff trust, but it is the exact same word that is used, so it was meant to carry the same connotation and the same concept. So, then we would read this verse a little differently understanding that. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed or in whom they have not had faith? And how are they to believe or have faith in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or bringing the message? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, I'm not going to take my shoe and my sock off to let you see my feet. That's not the concept of what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is, is, for those who have not heard the gospel and therefore have not been able to believe, because how can they believe in what they haven't heard? And how can they hear unless someone brings the message? And how can they bring the message unless they've been sent with the message? He says, then when you see that coming, how beautiful it is to see someone bringing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have not believed. So verse 16, he says, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. Everybody that, that has heard doesn't obey. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed, who has had faith in what he has heard from us? But verse 17 says, so faith, belief, comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I, I want to I tie something together. So let's, let's, let's build this, this stuff that we've been talking about on receiving faith. So Jesus is the founder 
and the perfecter of our faith. So he establishes faith into your life. It's not from you. He establishes faith into your life, a measure of faith. He then begins to perfect that faith. It is that faith that allows you to be justified and therefore have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's flash forward to one of my favorite passages that I'm going to use again later in this sermon. We go, let's go all the way to Matthew 28, where we would see that Jesus says, Go and make disciples. Okay? Now let's jump back to Romans 10. Romans 10, he said, How will people believe, have faith in something that they haven't heard? How will they hear? Unless someone brings the message. How will someone bring the message unless they've been sent? Go make disciples. So we've all been told to go. We've all been told to make disciples. So we have been sent. Therefore, we should be taking the message of the gospel. Therefore, people cannot say, well, I can't believe in something I haven't heard because no one is sharing the message of the gospel with me. No one is sharing this faith, this belief that you have in Jesus Christ. How can they believe? How can they have faith if they haven't heard? How can they hear unless someone brings the message? And how can you bring the message unless you've been sent? Because belief, faith, comes from hearing. And hearing comes from the word of Christ. For us to receive faith, it comes through Jesus. One of the reasons that there's a lack of people who are coming to faith in America is because we've strayed from preaching and teaching the word of God, which he said they're going to hear and the, and the hearing, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. People don't need our self-help messages. They don't need our things of saying, oh, well, here's the five steps on how you can get God to do these things for you. What people need is to, for us to recognize that so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if we preach and teach and promote the Word of God above all things, look, They're going to find faith because we give them the word of Christ and then Jesus founds, authors faith into their life. We receive faith. It is received from God. Well, how do I know that it's received from God? Because Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It. What? What is it? It's not that you've been saved. Although that's, that is obviously a gift of God as well. But it is the gift of God. What it is. This is not your own doing. What is not your own doing? Faith is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And it's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Why? Because we are saved by grace through faith. Faith is authored in our lives by Jesus Christ. So he gives us faith, therefore we can be saved. It's not a result of us doing anything. It's not a result of us being able to achieve anything, but we receive faith. It is a free gift. 
I think that's one of the most awesome things about being able to go and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we prayed yesterday, 9 a.m. over here at South Highland Community Center, and we were standing in the parking lot, and there was a bunch of folks, and I had told Michelle and Caleb, I said, man, I said, I've been ready to preach since like Thursday night. I said, I, I've been just fired up, and I, 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 I kind of felt bad for those folks because, man, they had asked me to, to be one of the two ministers that prayed. I told the other guy, I said, you go ahead and go first. <laughs> it's kind of like those people that go, yeah, y'all go ahead and get what y'all want off the buffet, and then, and then we're going to tear the rest of it up. Man, I was standing out there, and I just, boy, I, I could just feel God. And, and we were praying, and I was praying, God, send people across our path. Send somebody that needs encouragement this morning. Send somebody that needs a, a, a word of hope this morning. And we take off up the road. I mean, there's, there's probably 14 apartment complex buildings there, uh, housing units. And, and so uh, we started to turn in, and, and a gentleman walked up, and he says, Hey, do you guys know if this is such and such an address? And I said, well, that sounds right. I mean, that's, that's the name of the, of, the, of the housing units. And I said, surely we can find it. So we walk up and we find Building 6, and we went on our way. Well, we come back down after we're walking up through praying while we're walking and, and uh, really not seeing people out to uh, speak with. And we come back, and here this guy is again. And George and I are back here. Man, we're talking about revival. We're talking about the church getting excited and all this. And so I'm just watching Michelle. Michelle just takes this, this guy. She just walks on. She just starting to share the gospel. I just said, I'll stay back here with George, man. God's just going to use her, you know, for a while. And uh, I didn't even know that she was ending up talking to him. He's, his marriage is falling apart. He's got a three-year-old son. Hadn't been able to see him. He's been living at the Salvation Army for a couple of days. And, of course, they make you leave at 7 a.m. And so I've got to figure out. I have a job, but I've got to figure out what to do during the day when I'm not working. And Michelle's sharing with him about family situations and, and you know, having a dad, not having a dad. And so finally, George and I come up on him, Michelle left off, and man, we got to just sharing the gospel again. I said, man, we, gotta, we need to make sure your relationship with God is correct. Have you, have you had a moment in your life where you ever <laughs> learned that and you got it? Have you had a moment in your life where you truly gave your heart to Christ and your life changed? He started crying. Young guy, 29 years old. Very well-spoken, really smart guy. I mean, I just... And man, we stood there sharing. And he, and he started telling, he said, he said my, my heart was just, he said, I, I want God to heal my heart. And I, I, my marriage is, is gone. It's just done. And, but I want to be able to spend time with my son. And man, you ever have, have one of those moments when the Holy Spirit just speaks to you? And I say, hey, I, I don't want you to think I'm trying to be overly spiritual or anything else. But I said, I, but I am. I said, you just sat here and told me, he said, I, I just want to spend time with my son. And tomorrow's Father's Day. I said, man, how do you think God feels about wanting to spend time with you, his child? Whew. He said, did you have to go there? And tears just, just running. I said, man, I said, God wants, to, God wants to be with you just like you want to be with your son. 
it's an act of God's grace that we get saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It's a gift of God. He looked and he said, I've asked God a lot of times to heal my heart and, and do. And I said, man, here's what I know to tell you. I know to tell you that even if it's just one more time, you've got to open up and say, God, I'm ready whatever the cost, whatever it takes. I said, but if God hears your heart, that doesn't mean that all the problems are going to go away. It just means that God has resolved your, your eternal destination, and then he's going to begin to work. I said, but you need to surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you that will help you to have faith. Now, I wasn't going to go into a long sermon with him because I wasn't talking about hope. Hope will come. But faith needed to come in his life first. Belief and trust and understanding of who God is. Of the, the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, wants to save you and resolve your eternal situation. And out of that, out of that truth, having that faith from Jesus Christ, then you will develop hope. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the hope of glory. The mystery that had been revealed in us, the Gentiles now, which is Jesus Christ. It's the hope of glory. It's Him in you. That's your hope. And He's the one that founds and authors faith into you. How awesome is this? That He instills faith into you so that you can be justified. And therefore, and when you have faith and you are justified, which comes into right relationship with God, then Jesus comes in and now you have hope. How is it that we know that, that this faith, this belief is critical to being a Christian? John 3.18 says, Whoever believes... It's the same word. It's the same Greek word for faith, believe, belief, trust. Whoever believes in him, speaking of Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed, had faith in the name of the only Son of God. Catch what he's saying here. He says, look... Now, this is going, you're going to have to hear this one all the way out because this one's going to mess with you for a minute. I've said this one time before. I only say it rarely, and I try to be very clear when I say it. You are not going to go to hell because of sin. <laughs> People are like, I don't even know if I ought to say amen or if I ought to... You're not... John 3.18 makes it clear why we are condemned if we're condemned. He says, whoever believes, whoever has faith, not whoever lives perfect, not whoever does everything right, because we know we can't do that. He said, whoever believes, whoever has faith, where did faith come from? Jesus. Jesus was the author. Jesus is the perfecter. All right? So whoever has faith, whoever believes in him, is not condemned. But whoever does not have faith, does not believe, is condemned already. Well, wait a minute. People say, well, I don't understand. How could a loving God send people to hell? Jesus wants to author faith in your life. 
He doesn't say, well, you go because you did bad. You go because of all these things. He says, you're condemned because you don't believe. You don't have faith. And I offer you faith through Jesus Christ. I extend faith to you. But you have to stand there and you have to say, I don't want to receive the faith that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus who wants to be the author and who wants to be the perfecter of faith so that I can be justified and have peace with God, I don't want that from you. As a result then of Jesus instilling faith into us by which we are, by grace, you are saved through faith. It's not of works. Listen, any man should boast is the gift of God. Because we don't believe the truth, then we don't live according to the truth. We'll get there in just a moment. But I want you to understand this progression again about salvation. This progression is God shows grace. God gives faith it's through Jesus Christ, and therefore we receive salvation. It's the gift of God. The important thing to take away about receiving faith is you can't do it. You can't create it. You can't turn it up. You can't fabricate it in some way. It comes through Jesus Christ. You know why it's so powerful that you can't fabricate it or create it? Because if you'd been raised in the church and if you'd had better, better Christian education than everybody else, then you would think that you could fabricate better faith than what someone else could. You'd walk into an environment where someone has never known anything about Jesus Christ and we would be tempted to have an exalted opinion of ourselves and our ability to have faith because I know all the right things to say. I grew up in church. I know the right phrases. I know the things that if you say this in the right church, it'll stir people up and service will be on. Right? You can try to shape and fashion yourself after certain ministers because they get a result. They get a response by how you say and what you say and intonation. Look, look, if that was what it was, then yeah, there'd be guys that because of their bit, man, they could... Well, they just, they just better spiritually than everybody else. You know what the reality is? The reality is you could walk into a situation where that there's not a lick of knowledge about Jesus Christ and Jesus can author faith in them that is just as powerful as the faith was that initiated in you growing up in the church your whole life. Now, he's going to perfect it over time. And so we're all at different stages of God perfecting our faith through Jesus Christ. Perfecting our belief, perfecting our trust in Him of what we truly are convicted of. I would guarantee you that most every person today that has been serving God for some period of time, you could say that, hey, there were things when I first came to Christ, I wanted to believe, but it was a stretch for me. It was a little hard for me to believe that God would do these things or that this was the nature of God. But the longer that I served Him, and maybe I went through some things, maybe I experienced some situations that caused me now to know without a shadow of a doubt about that, I know that I believe and I am convinced because what He's done before, He will do again. 
So that area of your faith has been perfected more than where it was when you first started. Faith comes from God through Christ. It is the gift of God. What is it? What really is it? I understand it's belief. I understand it's trust. Also, what, what is it? We have a very common verse that we often refer to. We say about faith. Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Notice that? You got both. Faith and hope. They're independent. They're different, but yet they're connected. He says faith is the assurance of... There's belief. If, if you are absolutely assured of something, if you have absolute assurance, it means you are convicted of it, you believe it, you believe it to be true. So faith is the assurance of the things that you hope for. Let's go back to that understanding of, that Luther gave us, that faith is based in the truth. It's found in the Word. But yet hope relies on the goodness of God according to what we see through faith. So, all right, what does that mean? Many people don't receive things that they hope for because what they hope for is not in line with the faith that you find in the Word. Because faith is belief, it's the truth of who God is. There used to be an old hymn, Faith of Our Fathers. It wasn't just, oh, that you, oh, you got to have faith. That's not what it was. Right? I slipped that one in. That's not what it was. That's that blind faith mentality. That's that leap of faith mentality. Faith is truth. It, this is the faith. We are part of the faith. Faith, belief. It's an assurance of things that are hoped for. If you get your faith right, you will only hope for things that are in line with God's Word. That's why when I hear people say, oh, you know, well, I'm hoping that God's going to give me a big house and God's going to... Well, you keep hoping. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying that you won't find some way to make it a self-fulfilling prophecy and you won't find some way to go get yourself in debt and do it or whatever. I mean... But, but you keep hoping for that God's going to let you have a maid and all this other stuff. I mean, I, I, but you need to get your faith right, your belief right, your conviction right, the, the truth right. Because if you do, then you won't be hoping. So then when we read scriptures, it says, oh, but the Bible says that, that if you trust in the Lord, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Let's not ignore the fact that if your faith is right, then the desires of your heart and the things you're hoping for will be in line with the goodness of God as revealed to us through the faith. That, that I know this is, this is meaty today. I'm, I'm just telling you, this is, you, you gotta, you know, if you're gonna fall asleep, fall all the way asleep and just stay there because, <laughs> because you don't wanna get part of this because that's gonna make it a little, a little harder. You gotta chew this one. But I'm telling you, this is powerful when you get a hold of that faith comes from Christ and He's going to instill it and we find it in the Word and it needs to define what you hope for because it'll stop a lot of people from accusing God of not doing what they've hoped for. I looked at this young man yesterday because I knew what I was going to be preaching. And I knew, I told him, I said, hey, I said, I said, side note, I want to tell you something. 
I said, you say, it seems like God is not hearing you. You're saying your heart needs to be healed and you're depressed and, and you just, you're, you're tired. And I said, man, why do you think we're here? I don't live over here. I don't hang out at the South Highland Community Center. I hope to do so more now. I didn't even know the thing was there. I knew the, swim, the, the, the swimming pool and all that. I didn't know there was a community center behind it. It's nice. It's very nice. I said, but man, you over here thinking? He said, I was thinking about that earlier today. I said, my goodness, so you're not seeing what God is doing. You're over here thinking, God, you're not hearing me, and I'm depressed and all this. I said, I'm over here in this, in this parking lot praying, God, send somebody across my path that needs to be encouraged, that needs hope. An hour later, here we all are. God's hearing you. God heard my prayer. God heard your heart's cry. Look, why do I know and believe that? It's not just because that it actually happened. It's because my faith tells me that the character and the nature of God is such that he is near to the brokenhearted. That he is touched with our infirmities. And that when those who are his followers say, God, I want you to send somebody across my path. God, just like Isaiah, when we, just a few weeks ago when we preached about revival, when Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Then the character and the nature of God responded to the brokenhearted. He responded to the prayer of faith and the willingness for us to go and be used. And God said, oh, I got an, I've already aligned this before you ever prayed it because I sent you guys over here before you ever prayed the prayer. I made sure he would be over here. I made sure y'all would go up this road. Listen to me, y'all. God aligns these things. That's the character and the nature of God. I know, here, here's the fact that I know about who, because I can't find anything in the Bible that says about somebody praying in a parking lot and asking God to send people. All right, right, you with me? You following that? Okay, but I can find the nature and the character of God in him being close to the brokenhearted. I can find him saying that I want you to go. I want you to go visit, and I want you to encourage. I can find all of that in the Scripture. So I rely then on the goodness of God, and I have hope that if I pray, God sends somebody across my path, that the, the faith that I have that says this is the truth of God's character, the goodness of God will come through, and it came through for that young man. Faith is the assurance based in the goodness of God on the things that I can hope for. The conviction of things not seen. But there's something else that happens when we have faith. If we have true belief, if we have true conviction of who God is and of what the Word says, then faith will lead to obedience in our lives. In fact, one cannot claim to have faith, true belief, in Christ, if they are living in open and unrepentant disobedience to Christ. How can you say, I am firmly convinced of who Jesus is? I am firmly convinced that he is to be the Savior. I am firmly convinced that he's to be Lord. I am firmly convinced that he is God himself, but I, but I don't do what he says. Then I, would, then I would say you don't have biblical faith. Because you're not truly embracing that truth. In fact, James, the brother of, of Christ, said this about obedience and faith. He said, what good is it, my brothers? 
If someone says he has faith but does not have works, you hang in here, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, catch this, he doesn't stop and start another thought. He says, so also, together with that. All right, so the principle that, he, that he's teaching, that he's saying, he says, look, faith without works, that, that can't be. Because how can you say you got faith, and then you see somebody that needs you to do a work, and you go, oh, well, I hope God takes care of your problem for you. I'm going to be praying about it. Do something about it. He says, all right, so I just laid that out. So also, I, I, gave you, I gave you physical stuff, so let me talk spiritual for a moment, James says. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, that faith is dead. Your belief is dead. Your conviction is dead because it did not convict you. It did not lead you to do something. He says, but someone will say, you have faith. I have works. Oh, man, when I read this for the first time, it kind of dawned on me. I was thinking through that, and I said, we've often read that verse, that portion of that verse. We're going to read the rest of it here in just a second. We've often read that and said, oh, you know, people in the church, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how not to do works and whatever, say, well, you got faith, and I do works. And you know what I realized? I just stopped and thought for a moment. I said, there is one group that is saying this to the church more than anything right now, and it is unbelievers. Unbelievers are saying to the church, you guys have faith, but we're doing the works. You guys say you got all this belief in Jesus Christ. You guys say you got all this belief in who God is, and how come you're not out here doing anything? You say you've got this belief. You say you have, you're part of a faith community. Then how come we're the ones that are out here feeding the hungry? How come we're the ones that are out here clothing the naked? How come we're the ones doing all these things? Because you say you have faith, but I'm telling you that us unbelievers out here, we're the ones that's got the works. Wow. James said, look, here's how I'm going to respond. Show me your faith apart from your works, but I'll show you my faith by my works. He says, this is what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. The body of Christ is supposed to be about understanding that you need to show faith by works. But then he goes on and says, okay, so you've got faith. You believe that God is one. Fantastic. So do all the demons. And they even fear God. They tremble. He says, look, faith alone. You got to catch this. You got to catch this. He says, the demons themselves have an element of faith in that they know the truth. They believe the right thing. They know that Jesus is the son of God. 
They know that God is the ruler of all creation. They know that God created all things. They know that God breathed life into mankind. They know what God did and His standards. He says, they've got all that. So just having belief, just having faith, biblical faith, conviction of the truth, trust, demons do that. And they tremble, they shudder. I read a question this week, and I want to share it with you then, based on this. He said, if you truly believe that the Father will provide for you, then why not freely feed the hungry? As I read the rest of that in context with this idea of faith will lead to obedience, we've got to understand faith will lead to obedience. He says, look, so you say that you believe God, we like to quote these verses, God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. And all the potatoes under it. Look, I understand your concept. I really do. But if you truly believe that, then why are you worried about... I mean, look, I, this one's for me too, guys. Y'all know, I always tell you, I, I, I'm having, then why am I worried about, well, I can't afford to give like that. Because if I give like that, then... You say, well, you've got to be wise. Now, I'm not talking about you, the house payment needs to be made tomorrow. And, and you, you know, doing some guilt trip, or, you know, you need to go give your house payment away. Now, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God moving on your heart, about you doing something for somebody, about you making sure that you respond to a situation that you see. We're not talking about giving to the church. We're not talking about an offering or none of that stuff. We're talking about you living out your faith. If we truly believe that, that hey, David said the Bible in the Word, he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed out begging bread. Well, now, I'm just going to have to say I can't agree with David. Well, maybe I could agree with David because I've seen Christian people. Oh, I'm facing to get in trouble. I've seen Christian people struggling through this kind of stuff. Why? Because most of the other Christian people, which would have included me too, we didn't allow our faith to lead us to obedience. Because if we truly allowed our faith to lead us to obedience, then there wouldn't be believers. That, mm. If you truly believe that the Father will provide for you, why not freely feed the hungry? Insert anything else that you wanted to. Faith is made evident by obedience to God. James said it. He said, look, you try to show me that you've got faith apart from doing any works, and I'm going to show you the evidence of my faith because it results in me doing what Jesus told us to do. Ephesians 6, verse 16 and 17, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. It's the same word. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, look at what he just said. He didn't say take up the shield of hope. Because hope's emotional. Oh. He didn't say take up the shield of your emotions wherewith you would be able to fight all the stuff that the enemy throws against you. Because sometimes your emotions are running high and you'll be able to fight the enemy and you're enthusiastic. It's been a great church service. The, the singing just spoke to your heart and somebody said something powerful to you and you just got a rebate in the mail and so you got some extra money. So your emotions are running high. But then two weeks later, an unexpected bill came. This occurred. That happened. 
You didn't really like the songs we did, and man, I, it's great they got that air conditioning, but now it's cold up in that place. I mean, you, all that stuff, and so your emotions are not going to... He didn't say take up the shield of your emotions. He said take up the shield of what you know. Take up the shield of what you believe to be truth. Take up the shield of what you are convicted of because you find it in the Word of God. It is that that will help you to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy when you don't feel like you need to believe that. When you don't feel like that you're going to be able to overcome the truth, your faith is what will help you to fight off that attack. Because I'm going to be honest with you, if we could spiritually see right now, there are flaming darts that are flying toward this building. They're flying toward every believer all over this world every moment. It's not like it stops. It's like there's just an attack just launching. And the question is whether or not you have taken up the shield of faith in all circumstances not some circumstances not the worst circumstances not the ones that you want to believe what the word says but in all circumstances take up the shield of faith you know what that in indicates you have a choice you need to understand faith is not some dome you walk around under, and it just follows you wherever you go. You just go over here in the dome, just goes with you. You're like the bubble boy. It's just around you and it goes. That's not what he's, that's not what it is. He says it's a shield that you're gonna have to pick up. You, if, if you want to fight and leave the shield laying on the ground, then you're gonna get hit with darts. More importantly, and I only have time to preach this this morning. God just dropped this in my, in my, my mind just a while ago while I was sitting here reading this scripture. By the way, if you're going to take up a shield, that means you're going to have to face your attack. Some people don't want to face the problem. But if you're not going to face the problem, then how are you going to... A shield that's right here, you've you got to have a shield on your arm. How are you going to, you going to be protected by something with a shield when you don't want to face it? Having a firm grasp. Let's tie back to the attack that we said would come. Having a firm grasp on faith, which is belief and trust, allows you to extinguish the flaming attacks of lies, errors, and heresies. Sharing your faith. How do you share it? Look, I know you guys, uh, you probably get tired of hearing Matthew 25 and Matthew 28. But I'm going to tell you that until I feel like that we, not you, until I feel like we are doing it, then it'll just pop up all the time. And then there's going to be new people come in, so I'm going to have to use it some more. Matthew 25, 34 through 46, how are you going to share your faith? Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it. To me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wasn't prepared for you. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I just want to stop for a moment. I have never shared this thought with you. Why on earth did he need to say, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? I just want to throw an idea out here to you. He's about to tell a group of people, this is what you need to go do. So he prefaces that statement by saying, I have all authority in heaven and in earth. In other words, I have the ultimate ability to tell anyone what to do, whether in heaven or on earth. In all of the universe, I have all authority. Go, therefore. Catch that. As a result of the fact that I have all authority to command people to do things, I'm telling you to go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." We most often want to talk about sharing our faith as being the concept of just evangelizing. Now, I'm thankful that that's not the only case because there's a whole lot of people that evangelize. We've we've seemed to convince ourselves that, well, the way that we share our faith is that we go up to somebody and say, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And, and, and we go through the process. And the process is good. The process of sharing the gospel in that, in that fact, that, man, we need to do it. There's more people need to be doing it because people are going, well, I don't feel called. Well, I'm sorry. Jesus, who said, I have all authority in heaven and in earth, just told you to go. And he told you to go make disciples. Well, how do you make disciples of somebody that's not a disciple? Where are you going? Because how can they believe in what they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone comes and delivers the message? And how can they deliver the message unless they've been sent? And Jesus said, go. So please, stop saying I haven't been called to evangelize. God hasn't spoken to me to to go evangelize people. Man, come on. God's going to hold you accountable for saying that. Because you, now, you have heard the word I don't know how many times if you've been in this building, if you've been in this church, you've been in this fellowship, you have repeatedly heard us communicate this. So I'm just going to tell you one more time so you'll be accountable before God with it, and as will I. Jesus said, I have all authority, and I am therefore telling you, go and make disciples. So you have been called to evangelism. But that's not the only way that we're called to share our faith because our faith is belief and conviction and trust in the truth of who God is and of what the Word says. 
And Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who gives us faith, allows us to be justified, and therefore we get it because it is by grace that we have that faith. He says, here's how I want you to go light up the darkness with faith. I want you to feed the hungry. I want you to clothe the naked. I want you to minister to the sick. I want you to visit the imprisoned. And I want you to go evangelize and make disciples of Christ. It lights up the darkness where that people can no longer say, you say you have faith, but us unbelievers out here have works. I would to God that we would always be increasing in being able to look at our community and look at our world and say, we do have faith and we are increasing our works. Because that our leader who authored faith into us that allowed us to be justified with God and have our eternal destination changed, he has commanded us having all authority in heaven and on earth that we're not only to go, but we are also to do these things. We are to feed the hungry. We are to clothe the naked. We're to minister to the sick. We're to visit the imprisoned. And out of that, sometimes out of springing into that and sharing our faith, We will then have the opportunity that the Word of God says that you will be able to give an account of the hope. Your faith will put you into a place of obedience which will put you into positions where you will have to explain your hope. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a minister in Germany. He ended up losing his life He wrote some fantastic books and statements. He stood for the cause of Christ in the face of great, great evil. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, this is what he said. We shall be judged according to our works. This is why we are exhorted to do good works. The Bible assuredly knows nothing of those qualms about good works by which we only try to excuse ourselves and justify our evil works. The Bible never draws the antithesis between faith and good works so sharply as to maintain that good works undermine faith. No, it is evil works rather than good works which hinder and destroy faith. Grace and active obedience are complementary. There is no faith without good works and no good works apart from faith.